I hope that you're doing well. Uh, again, we're uh, one church in many locations. Want to welcome those watching in Issaquah and Duval and online. Uh, you know, Easter is a great holiday. And uh, in that, I'm reminding my own background, uh, not growing up in church, never really went to Easter services. There's a lot uh, of information about Easter uh, that I wasn't uh, aware of, just everything uh, around that. You may uh, not be uh, familiar with this, but Americans spend $1.9 billion on Easter candy. Isn't that amazing? Some of you are surprised it wasn't more. Uh, the, the number one kind of candy is chocolate. 70% of all Easter candy purchased is chocolate. And then there's the, uh, really the existential philosophical questions around uh, Easter bunnies. What do you eat first? What part of the Easter bunny do you eat first? The chocolate Easter bunny, not the real one. <laughs> this is not The Walking Dead. The, uh, so uh, which one do you eat first? Any ideas? The ears. Someone did a poll on this that shows you that people will do polls on anything. 76% of Americans believe you should eat the ears first. Now, there's all sorts of interesting uh, and fun traditions that we can have around uh, this holiday, Easter. Uh, some people will go all out. There's wonderful Easter brunches. Uh, people will make decorations, even hair pieces. Uh, I saw a picture of this hair piece that I thought was very original. Yeah, I, obviously she doesn't have any friends tell her not to do that. Uh, there's, uh, this is something else I came across. I, I, this is a, a fail of a sheep cake there. <laughs> now, the second one looks like I baked it. Uh, now, this one, I thought this was pretty interesting too. Yeah, that's a great Easter basket. Again, people have a lot of time on their hands. And now this I thought was a fail when it came to candy. If you'll notice, it's supposed to be a chocolate like Easter priest, but they used the bunny underneath. <laughs> now, you, you think about this, and there's, we have all sorts of things that come to mind uh, when I say uh, Easter. What I want to do today is I want to focus us, as Easter does, really it cuts away all those things that are spurious, not important, and focuses us on the core of what Christian faith is about. Uh, there's really a, a number of different accounts of the Easter uh, story in the Bible. In fact, if you look at the uh, Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which really is a big part of the Bible, they're really long introductions to this account of the last week of the life of Jesus. Uh, you know, uh, what I find really interesting is in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, uh, the Apostle Paul, who used to be very anti-Jesus, he has this experience with God, and it changes everything. And in that chapter of the Bible, he really summarizes what this is all about. Maybe, maybe you're here and you are a Christ follower and you have followed Jesus for years. This is the, the core of your faith to fortify you. Maybe you're like me, and I went through uh, my life into my teenage years and had never heard this. Well, this really is the summary. This is the Sparks Notes or the Cliff Notes uh, of it all, depending on your generation. 
We read in 1 Corinthians 15, one through two, it says, now brothers and sisters, I wanna remind you of the gospel I preached to you. By the way, the word gospel, it simply means good news. Uh, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. And that's a powerful statement. Now, now what is that? We read later on, 1 Corinthians 15, 3, it says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. You know, if, you, if you're reading the Bible, uh, you ever wonder, hey, what's the most important thing? Well, well, we're told right here, this is the thing that's the most important that uh, Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas in the 12, and after that to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And really what it's talking about is the sleep of death. Then he appeared uh, to James and then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. So this really uh, tells the story of the life of Jesus and really the meaning of it. That he came, that he lived a, a, a life that was holy and pure. He was fully God, fully human. So a mystery, very difficult to understand. And that he gave his life for us. That we could not have to pay for our own sins and our own failures, that we couldn't somehow try to earn enough merit and, and maybe believe that's good, but that he would pay the price and that he rose again from the dead, that vindicated everything he ever said or he taught. Well, okay, now this is a, the story of the life of Jesus and Easter. Well, what does this mean? What, is, what does this mean to me? That's really the theme today. Well, here's the answer, and this is your first fill-in if you're taking uh, notes. Usually, by the way, if you're new around here, these note sheets, if you want to, uh, you can fill in the blanks with notes, uh, or you can draw a caricature of the person next to you. Uh, either works, really. Uh, well, what, what, what does it mean? It all depends. It really uh, all depends. See, uh, you're, you find a statement, and by the way, you will find a statement that you will not find in any other uh, faith system. You will not find it in Islam, in Buddhism, in Hinduism. You will find no prominent atheist writer ever saying something as bold. You really cannot find it anywhere in any faith or lack of faith system. So here's what we find right in the Bible. This is so unique to Scripture. The Apostle Paul, he, he says this about uh, the resurrection, which is why we're here. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins. Then those who have uh, fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we of all people are to be most pitied. Uh, you know, some, some people would say, and maybe, uh, Maybe even you, you say, hey, I'm not really a person of faith and I'm maybe even on the anti-faith uh, category. Uh, and you'd say, you know, if, if this resurrection isn't real, then Christianity isn't worth anything. Paul would say, I couldn't agree with you more. To a point. See, he had spent his, his uh, life, or at least a good portion of his adult life, trying to uh, dissuade people from faith. Yet, as he... Uh, looked into it, and as God met him in a powerful way, he came to this conclusion. But Christ has indeed 
been raised from the dead. He says, I didn't believe it at first, but now I've staked my life on it. Now, I, I have uh, friends from all sorts of faith backgrounds. Uh, I have uh, friends, I, I'm ethnically Jewish, I have friends from that uh, kind of background, friends of no faith at all, Christians uh, in other belief systems. And uh, sometimes what they'll do is they'll struggle with the resurrection. And, and is this just something that you take on faith alone? No, not really. There's, there's good reason to believe in the resurrection. And you might be here and you say, uh, hey, Ben, I just take it on faith. There will be a time when your faith will falter. And you know that you can fully engage every aspect of your mind. And you say, hey, I can believe this. You might be here and say, hey, I, I, I just don't believe it. I would challenge you to look at these as evidences for faith. And by the way, I'm gonna just go over this quite quickly. I can't do an exhaustive study. This would take a, a whole series of messages. But, but here's what you can know, that this is reasoning behind faith, is historical evidence. Uh, there are non-Christian sources that talk about the resurrection of Jesus. Josephus, who was vehemently anti-Christian, he writes about the resurrection as it is fact. In fact, he, he said this, and then he appeared to them alive on the third day. And then there's also biblical assertions. Uh, we, we read that where uh, in 1 Corinthians, in the book of Acts and elsewhere, again and again it says Jesus died and he rose again and he appeared to 500 people. And I've mentioned this before, in the city of Jerusalem there were only 100,000 people and they're saying there's 500 living eyewitnesses among you. Uh, and that really leads to number three, eyewitness testimony. We can believe it because there were people uh, that we find in the pages of Scripture, we find it in resources outside of Scripture, who wrote about Jesus and then seeing him risen from the dead. And many of the people, they, as they were brought before the authorities, the Jewish religious leaders and the Roman occupiers of Israel at the time, they wanted to quell this burgeoning faith movement, and so they would, they would torture and prison and even kill people. And if, if people would recant their testimony, most of the time they could be set free, but people said, no, no, I've seen this, I believe this, it's true. And then there's a change reality, that we see people who are very different in the light of the resurrection. And you say, well, why is this resurrection such a big deal? Here's one, I, one thing I've learned about dead people is they tend to stay dead. They really do. Uh, you know, when, when people die, they don't rise again. We, we hear these stories of people, you know, who are maybe uh, gone for a few hours and their heart comes back, which is an amazing miracle. But we're given this account of someone who was three days in a grave, and after he was dead, he was actually speared in the side just to make sure he was dead. And then he rose again to life. Well, what's the change reality? The Apostle Paul says this, but thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Will you underline victory through our Lord Jesus Christ? That's what Easter is about, that it changes everything. Now, I've talked a, a number of years ago 
uh, about God's plan that we find in the scriptures. And if you're here again and you say, hey, I'm sort of new to faith, here's what you find is you find the story of creation, fall where, where people blow it, and God redeems creation, fall, and redemption. But there's a part of it that I didn't talk about when I talked about that a few years ago, and that's fulfillment, where God brings his good plan into your life and mine. And so I wanted to make sure you had the background and say, okay, at least to whet your appetite, and I've listed other resources there. There's great reasons to believe. There's great evidences of faith. In fact, if you want to know uh, the changed reality of people's lives, read that book, 24 Hours That Change the World. It's amazing when you see what happened. But really, it always comes down to where does God meet you and I personally? Where does the Easter story of Jesus risen from the dead intersect with my story? And so uh, as I was preparing, and I've been preparing uh, for the last couple months for uh, the services this weekend, I I thought what I wanted to do is I wanted to look at the changed realities we find of people in the Scripture. There are more than I can list there. And, And how maybe that would be a place where God could meet us during this Easter. Well, here's what it can mean if we let it. It can mean knowledge that you matter. Uh, There are a lot of big questions in life and faith. Uh, Is there a God? Can I know him? But a real big question is, do I matter to him? Now, now there's someone uh, in the Bible who's uh, really often misunderstood, Mary Magdalene. There's a lot of uh, stories around her. Many of them are just tradition. They're not verified historically. For example, that Mary Magdalene was a... uh, well, there are children here, so she was in the oldest profession ever. And uh, if you don't know what that is, go to the internet. Uh, so that, uh, but the Bible never says that, and, and history really doesn't. That's, that's, that's a tradition. We don't know if that's true. We do know this about her, is that she was wealthy and uh, that she actually supported some of the followers of Jesus. That would be very unique about her is that she had some uh, level of uh, extraordinary wealth. It also said uh, she had seven demons. Now, I don't know all that means. I know that's not a good thing, though. Uh, so she was, she was wealthy. She was troubled. And, and, and I, I believe I maybe have mentioned this before. She's also unique in the pages of Scripture that whenever someone's mentioned, especially uh, in that culture, a woman, it's always uh, the daughter of, and or even usually a man, it's the son of or the wife of. But Mary Magdalene is always mentioned alone. She, this is very unique. She's always mentioned in isolation. And, and that really would be no accident because is, as you read between the lines, and really that, that as well, is you would find that would be the story of her life. And I don't think that she chose to be alone, is that that's how life had ended up for her. And so you think about, if Jesus was gonna make a point of that you matter, how would he do that? He, it says that there were 500 people that he came to Uh, and prove himself alive. And of those, the first one, after he is risen from the dead, 
is this, worry, uh, this woman, Mary Magdalene. We read, uh, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And there's an account, there's actually a couple accounts in the Bible, how Jesus appears to her. And, and he wants her to know that she matters. Interestingly, if you read some of those biblical accounts, he calls her by name. And, and I think it, in light of the resurrection, she knew that she she mattered, maybe, maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time. And, and that's what you could know as well. And, and that would really be life-defining. There's a, a, a pastor, Adam Hamilton, who pastors a church in Kansas. They do something, uh, some, something unique. Once a month they have a service where uh, it's geared particularly for those with memory issues. You would probably find most of the people uh, who come for that service uh, in, in particular would be people with Alzheimer's. In fact, uh, nursing homes and other facilities have found out about this service and they actually bus people in for it. And uh, there's old familiar hymns and, and, and things that would be uh, geared for people with memory loss. Well, during one of the services about a year or so ago, uh, you, you know, typical service was happening. People are fading in and out uh, because uh, some people have varying levels of dementia. And so, you know, they, they're disengaged at points. Some are more engaged. Some are looking the own way, another way. A little children's choir comes up. And uh, they, so they sing the song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. And uh, as they're singing that, uh, something unique happened in that service, that all of a sudden all these people who seem to be, many of them seem to be a little bit of out of it, all are really engaged. And they start, they, well, they weren't invited to sing, they just did it because they wanted to. One of the advantages of growing old, you get to do what you want to. Uh, <laughs> But they just started singing. And so these people started singing, Jesus loves me, yes I know, for the Bible tells me so. And they go on throughout the song and sing, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. And you might say, you know, oh, that's a, a sweet story about older people who have maybe lost some of their faculties finding hope. Get this, many of the people there don't know their own name. They don't know the names of the people, they don't know what they did for a profession in life. They couldn't tell you where they lived. But something deep inside of them, if there was gonna be a memory that was gonna be with them, it's Jesus loves me, this I know. And see, that can be transformational in so many ways. Well, what else can the resurrection mean? It can mean a fresh start. Uh, and, you know, during Easter, uh, yeah, I, I always want... A, you know, to illustrate my points in a, in, in a fresh way. And, and, and I was just really struggling uh, on this one in particular. And I, and I was just praying, to God, God, I just need some sort of illustration. And God gave me an illustration for this. Uh, I was going to, I live in Sammamish, I was going down the road, and I got something I've never received before in my life. 
It's called a speeding ticket. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Yeah, and so uh, I, I, I went, and uh, so I'm driving along, and all of a sudden I get pulled over. And like I said, I've never gotten a speeding ticket uh, before. Usually I get out of them. I try to charm my way out. Evidently that's faded over the years. Uh, the officer, uh, he asked me the question, how fast you were going? And I thought, now this is good news. He does not know. Uh, <laughs> and, I, and so I was thinking of some sort of uh, answer like, well, how fast did you want me to go? Or, you know, I just go as fast as Jesus tells me to go. Uh, now, I didn't say that to him because I've seen the movie The Shawshank Redemption, didn't want to go to prison or anything like that. So, uh, so I didn't, wasn't able to get out of this ticket, and uh, so I didn't know what to do. I've never received a speeding ticket before. So what I did is I went uh, where anyone goes where they need legal advice is I posted this on Facebook. And uh, because I didn't know that. So they give you three options when it comes to uh, a ticket. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this. Actually, I know you are familiar with this because uh, I post, made this post and I got more comments. It was like 71 comments the last time I checked. Uh, now, I talked last weekend about we had more people baptized than ever in the history of the church last weekend. I got three comments on that one. Uh, you know, I, I talk about how God's, you know, the church is growing, starting another campus. I get six, eight comments, 71 comments on this. <laughs> so here were some of the options, uh, and, and I, I did the first three they gave me, and then I added a few. One, you can admit you have the, you did it, uh, you were sped, and you can pay the ticket. Two, you can ask for a mitigation hearing, which is basically begging for mercy. Or C, you can deny it. And I added a few other options. I would say, well, maybe D, I could ignore it and hope it'll go away. E, I could change my identity. F, I could flee the country. Or G, I could congratulate them on finally catching me. <laughs> uh, well, I received all sorts of advice. I didn't know what to do. Uh, now, it was interesting how many people had gotten speeding tickets before. In fact, I got two recommendations for the same attorney. So just yet, this is, not, I'm, this is not a paid endorsement. I just want to let you know this. One person wrote this. This is <laughs> true. Call Mitch Green, and then gives his number, uh, to get it off your record, or it's free. He charges $300. He's done the last 10 tickets for me. <laughs> okay, now. Uh, the, uh, now when I get pulled over, they see I'm lawyered up and haven't written me up in the last 10 years. His socks don't match. He might be late for court, but he'll get the job done. You'd love the guy. And so uh, they're all the, here's, and I got all this wonderful advice. Here's, here's the problem. I'm guilty. I did it. Now, it's interesting, in, in our court system, the only way you can really explain your case is to deny the fact you did it. The only way you get off is by saying you didn't do it. And the opposite is true when you want a fresh start with God. The Bible says when we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You say, I, I don't believe I've ever sinned. 
Well, one, <laughs> you're, you're, you're not married. I know that for sure. <laughs> and probably, because every once in a while I hear that, and, and I don't want to be mean, but that's crazy. Talk to the people in your life. We've all hurt someone. Most of us, it, we, we don't have to think too far of, of what we've done. And Jesus went to the cross and he rose again that we could be forgiven. See, when I hear this every once in a while and I'm sure it's well-meaning. Well, Easter is about new beginnings. It's about, that is about a fresh start. But it's primarily about Jesus going to a real cross a place where you can visit that was written by historians, literally 20,000 different fragments of the New Testament alone. I've been there. And he rose again from the dead and literally changed the world as we know it. And the invitation he makes to every single person who would take him up on that offer, who would come and believe, I don't care if your background is Catholic or Mormon or Buddhist or Methodist. If you will come to Jesus Christ and receive that offer of forgiveness and believe that when he rose again, that he did that so you and I could be forgiven and freed, you'll get a fresh start that you can only get really through him. Well, I, I, I want to I look at a guy, Peter. There, there's a guy, uh, who, who he got a fresh start. Uh, he was one of these guys who, uh, honestly, he had everything going for him. He was, uh, you know, he was sort of the golden boy, a little bit entitled. You ever met anyone like that? There's not very many people like that on the east side, so I imagine you haven't. The, uh, but when he had his opportunity to do the right thing, he didn't. And he denied Jesus. But Jesus came looking for him and said, you may be through with me, but I am not through with you. And it changed everything. And he went from, he had denied Jesus to a little girl because he was so afraid. And look at what we read in the book of Acts. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. And they said, this is a man of courage. Well, how did this happen? Peter says this about his own life. He says, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. It wasn't through Good thoughts or good deeds is through an empty cross. It's also validation for your faith. It can mean that. See, now, now I know as I talked, especially in these first couple categories, you might say, hey, you know, that I felt distant from God and now I know I can come close. There are some of you, you are very faithful. You love God, you serve him. You give and you pray and you, and you try to learn about him. And there are people around you who will ridicule you and make fun of you. And I know what can happen. Is sometimes you're like, okay, am I the only one? There, there was one person when Jesus went to the cross. His disciples all fled except for 
uh, one of them. All the male disciples did, except for one of them. And his name was John. And John stayed there with him. And John was faithful. And, and even look at what uh, John writes. He says, this is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. And we know his testimony is true. And John would say, don't shrink back. You know, you, you probably read this story this last week uh, where in, in Kenya near the Somali border, uh, a, a university was attacked by uh, uh, Islamic extremists and they separated people by faith. And so people, if, and, and they took out the people and they killed 147 of the students who were Christians. You talk about a moment. But here's one thing I know, is because Jesus rose from the dead, is that they're hearing those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, you say, hey, maybe it's not about validating my faith, and I'm not there, I'm just more in that doubt category. That's okay, we, we, we see that it's also about turning doubt into hope. Now, uh, you don't even need to go to church to know about Thomas. Uh, I always joke about Thomas should be the patron saint of Seattle. Because, uh, you know, he's sort of sarcastic and cynical. He said the stuff uh, other people really uh, were afraid to say. And, and see, he was not someone who was anti-faith. He just wanted to be sure. And, and the other followers of Jesus, you could tell they were sort of sick of Thomas. They were like, Thomas, you're just too weird. Stop wanting, just have a little faith. Jesus seeks them out after he rose from the dead. And it says, and then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Then Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. It's interesting, the greatest statement of faith in the Bible is not of Peter, is not of John. It is Thomas makes the greatest statement of faith in, he says, he is my Lord and he is God. You know, I, I've been asked this, uh, and it's an interesting question, is when Jesus rose from the dead, uh, why, why wouldn't his body be completely whole? Why would he have that reminder of that horrible, agonizing death? Now, I don't know. I mean, for sure, we can con there's a lot of conjecture around that. I know one reason, though, is because Thomas needed to see that. And the Bible says that Jesus would literally go to the grave that we could experience life with God the Father. You know, so we see these great examples of what uh, can happen uh, with the resurrection and how that it can impact our life. There's a few others I didn't include because they're a little bit more of a bummer. Uh, for uh, Pilate, the Roman governor, the resurrection of Jesus meant a lifetime of regret because he knew he had made the wrong decision and he was never willing to turn back. For Judas, who betrayed Jesus, it meant despair. Because as Jesus went to the cross so we could be forgiven, he couldn't believe he could be forgiven. And then there's a story of two criminals on 
on a cross, and there's a one that goes to Jesus. He's making fun of Jesus at first, and he says, uh, uh, later on, he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. But the other criminal, and we, we don't know the reasons why, and is that he never makes that statement of faith. He never turns to Jesus. And for him, it was a missed opportunity. See, one thing I know about Easter is that the time where we focus on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and God presents each and every one of us with an opportunity. I don't know what your opportunity is. Maybe your opportunity is to know that you matter. Maybe it's to, to deal with your doubts. Maybe it's a fresh start. Or maybe it's just to say, hey, I am not gonna miss out on the opportunity that I'm given through Jesus Christ. Someone who I met uh, not too long after I came to the church, he, a greeter, uh, you probably have seen him on a, on a given weekend. Uh, I, I began to hear his story of faith. And the thing I like about his story of faith, it's unique. Many of us come to faith and maybe in a crisis moment. And for him, it was just, I am not gonna miss out on this opportunity. And I've enjoyed hearing Jeff's story, and I thought you might as well. So I, I want you to take a look at this. 